Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. Well, so what happens when people aren't getting along together? Uh, And you know that happens a lot. When relationships begin to sour and there is even a breakup, this can bring a profound sense of loss. There can be emotional pain and it can lead even into physical pain. When there is rejection, there is often bitterness. As relationships break apart, we're strongly tempted to buy into this lie, I am not worth loving. If you've ever asked or felt that, I want you to know that God has a different opinion on that. He thinks you are worth loving, worth enough that he would send his son into the world. And if you and God disagree, guess who's right? Okay, he is going to be right. But have you ever had a struggle in in a relationship? Have you ever uh, asked, why can't we get along? And is God able to bring healing? That's the question that we're going to try to answer this morning on the basis of the Word of God. And at the conclusion, we want to hear inside of ourselves that resounding voice and message of God that says to us, loving you and restoring everything is my job, and I'm good at it. It is more important to me than running all this vast universe. Now, I didn't know what the word pandemic meant. I had never really encountered it before the year 2020, but we know it all the time. Now, and I'm going to say the first point is this, is that conflict is pandemic. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the human race. It leads to broken relationships. No two people can fully understand each other or agree with each other on everything. Personalities can rub each other the wrong way, and when they are grating each other, that causes friction. Friction causes heat. Heat causes uh, uh, fire, and fire can destroy. It can begin with a simple misunderstanding and then end up pretty bad. Well... The Bible is full of examples right from the start, and it goes all the way back to the first broken relationship, and that is between God and man, and it was all man's fault. And then that tendency to break up relationships continued through all the generations right up until now into our generation, and it's going to keep on after that too. Now, let's say uh, that that first generation after Adam and Eve, we got Cain and Abel. That was intense sibling rivalry, and as a result, we have the first murder. What is murder? It's simply a broken relationship that involves an irretrievable act of rejecting of another human being. And according to Jesus... No less uh, 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 an authority than Jesus, rejecting someone or pushing someone out of your life is simply murder at a milder level, and you don't have to deal with the corpse. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dreyer talked about an example of sibling rivalry with Jacob and Esau and what was going on in that family. The next generation has Joseph. 
Uh, Joseph does not get along well with 10 out of his 11 brothers. And then think about King David, who's a man after God's own heart, and yet his kids didn't get along with each other. You know, here's the guy that wrote all these psalms and uh, just seemed to, you know, be so close to the Lord, and yet even his kids didn't follow through very well. They didn't get along. There was even murder. There was revenge, etc. Uh, it's, it's not a pretty story. So if you're following your outline that was passed out, the next thing we're going to is the Joseph Chronicle. We're going to go back and dig into that a little bit more, that, that classic story of envy, hatred, intrafamilial uh, stress to the extreme. He just did not get along with his brothers. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. And it's, it's one's going to have, you can see there are going to be a lot of problems here because Jacob had two wives, uh, Leah was the first wife, and uh, Jacob had been tricked into, uh, Joseph had been, I'm sorry, Jacob had been tricked into marrying her, and then his favorite was Rachel, that's the second wife, but then it's further complicated by the fact that each of the wives had a handmaiden. Now, that handmaiden was a kind of a secondary wife or concubine, and uh, the husband could have children with them as well, even though they were accounted as uh, you know, a full wife's children. And uh, though she was the favorite, Rachel just was not having any children. But among the other three, there were already ten sons and at least one daughter that had been born. And then finally, Joseph was born. Joseph, born to Rachel, the favorite wife, and guess what? He pretty quickly becomes the favorite kid, favorite son. Well, you can see there were already a lot of problems in that household. You know what happens when one problem meets another problem, they get married and then they have more problems. It just kind of goes that way. They attract each other. And um, so as Joseph grows up, it is increasingly obvious that dad favors him. He gave him that coat of many colors. And then add to that that Joseph had dreams and visions and interpretations, and the meaning of those became very obvious, that he was going to become the dominant one in the family, and did that go over very well? Well, he should have kept his mouth shut, but he didn't, and the brothers just didn't like that at all. And then, as Shannon pointed out, when he would go and check out how things were going with the brothers out on the fields there as they were keeping watch over the flocks and the vast livestock holdings of his father, their father Jacob, he would tattle on them. Everything wrong that they did, Dad knew about because Joseph told him. So obviously, they were not getting along very well in that household. Envy led to rage, and rage led to bitterness, and bitterness led to a conspiracy plot to kill Joseph. Reuben, the oldest of the boys, comes up with an alternate plan, which leads them finally to sell their brother into slavery. Well, he ended up in Egypt, and the rest is history. Hmm. You know, when we realize what goes on in our world today, you know, you see the news, you look at reality TV and all that kind of stuff, you see uh, things that are almost beyond belief crazy, and uh, we can believe every detail of the story. It wouldn't surprise us. Now, that, all that was happening on a smaller household scale, and think of what happens when it goes global. And that's why we've got all these uh, wars that are going on, conflict, people killing each other, uh, in different places around the world, especially Ukraine and all that right now. Um, but um, 
the question is, have you ever seen where someone has a very hard time getting along with others? Have you ever been somehow involved in that kind of a struggle? Now, the Carnegie Institute of Technology and its research reported that 90% of all people who fail in their vocations fail because they don't get along with people. Now, that is a serious life-impacting problem. As a matter of fact, in indirect ways, it even adds to our cost of living, and it hits every one of us in some way or another. So I'd like you to kind of explore with me some of the reasons why people don't get along with each other, okay? More blanks you can fill in. The first one is, why me? Why me? Yeah, that's when people feel victimized and the mind puts together a serious case of injustice towards yourself by another person. It's just not fair, which can lead to ultimately a root of bitterness, a barely suppressed desire to retaliate. And so often when people have been abused in the past, they keep replaying the tapes, replaying the tapes, replaying the tapes. Same old story. Why me? I am a victim. Now, all of that leads to maybe an ongoing kind of faulty thinking, and uh, we'll call that irrational self-talk. You know what self-talk is. You're doing that all the time, okay? Um, That's maybe why you turn the music up so loud. You don't have to listen to your own self-talk because you're boring. Okay, but what this does, the self-talk, it often will negatively skew our understanding of other people and of issues that we're dealing with, and it hampers our interactions with other people getting stuck in patterns of cognitive distortion, and that is, by the way, that is harmful to relationships. Now, examples that would be in what we call magnification and minimization. Magnification of the errors and the problems of other people, or sometimes we heap it on ourselves and bring ourselves down low, Or, on the other hand, minimizing the good that other people have and their intelligence and uh, their ability to think, etc. And then sometimes we even internalize that on ourselves. Uh, All of which means sometimes it's just a little difficult to get along with other people. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you've observed this in people close to you. Oh, Oh, maybe sometimes you've done it. Well, then we've got differing temperaments. You know, that God made each of us with a a temperament. Uh, And there is a positive side that comes from our Creator. And then there's a negative side to those things as well. That comes from our sin nature, strengths and weaknesses. And when we allow ourselves to act in our temperament weaknesses, rather than focus on our temperamental strengths, we can quickly become the kind of person that does not get along with other people. Now, for example, let's think about the choleric temperament. That is a person who has strong leadership ability. Now, the weakness that corresponds with that is a penchant for being controlling, domineering, manipulative, and do people like that? Ah, Makes it hard to get along. Now, consider Joseph. I think maybe he had that as his temperament. God had gifted him with dreams and visions. He had leadership. He had confidence. He had faith. 
He was willing to step out, but at the same time, in his younger years, he didn't have the grace to handle that very well, to administer his special gift and his charisma. And so that resulted in envy toward him by his older brothers. And it was a generation later, finally, that the rift got healed when Joseph learned the virtues of love and forgiveness rather than moving forward in pride and arrogance. Let's go to another one. It can fill in a blank here, lack of discipline. Yeah, where there is not a lot of self-control or impulse control. You know, people like that are always late. They don't handle money well. Uh, They've got bad habits. They can be very annoying. And they're clueless as to how this is affecting other people. And maybe they don't even really care. Well, let's go to another one, and that is poor listening skills, blocking communication, being so self-focused. Oh, I I am so interested in what I have to say. And when you're talking, I'm not really listening to what you're saying. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm sure that's never happened to any of us. Okay. What about another one, inflexibility? Oh, this person may have a steadiness in temperament, but gets easily stuck in a rut, my way or the highway, tolerance of differences, and uh, doesn't get along well with people who've got a, a different political view. And then when there are family gatherings and they've got different political views, it's, it's really, really tense. Yeah, and these are uh, people who can resist and resent change of any kind. But I'm going to go to the final one. The last one on your list there would be the underlying problem. Three-letter word, you can probably guess what it is, starts with S. It's sin, and that is the single greatest uh, destroyer of relationships, peace, unity, harmony. That's sin, and the core of sin is pride, selfishness, and... uh, you know, just kind of looking after ourselves at the expense of others, and that can lead to failure in relationships. And sin isn't just hitting other people and stealing their toys and not sharing toys with them uh, or cursing them, but it is really being self-centered, self-focused. And when Satan sees an opportunity, you know what, he weighs in. He wants to get on. And, uh, okay, let's take an example. I'm sure this has never happened in your household. Okay, so you wake up in the morning, maybe didn't sleep real well, not feeling so hot, got a little bit of a headache, haven't had your first cup of coffee. Uh, the other person in the household says something that you kind, that kind of hits you the wrong way, sort of annoying. And then pretty soon, you got a conflict going, and you're picking at each other, and you're pushing each other's buttons, huh? Uh, yeah. Connie, has that ever happened in our household? (laughs) Okay, those of you online, she shook her head. She said, no, it never does. Okay, but I've heard that it happens sometimes. Uh, So in workplaces, in families, at home, uh, on your teams, in school, et cetera, it, it happens a lot. So what do we need? We need, next point, Jesus to the rescue because it's so obvious that there's something that's flawed in the human heart that makes relationships difficult and challenging. Yes, we are all flawed and broken, and we can't fix ourselves, and it would take something as radical. Think of this. Something as radical, as what is more radical than God, almighty God, creator of the entire universe, taking on human flesh and living in time and space right here with footsteps on this very earth. 
and all of that so that he could be totally obedient to the law of God so that he could be beaten up, that he could be cursed, that he could be abused, that he could actually be crucified, rejected. The scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, they all rejected him. He became the victim not only of that rejection, but the victim of every rejection by every human being on this earth. And the ultimate act of rejection was, of course, the crucifixion prophesied 700 years before that by Isaiah, who said that he was despised and rejected by men. People just did not want to get along with him. Even though he was sinless, even though he was always compassionate, always merciful, never did anything wrong, but This is what Peter writes about that. Now, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was was with him. He was among the first group, very first of disciples. So he knew Jesus better than anybody else, maybe maybe, uh, at least as well as John. And this is what he wrote. He said, for this, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. And what did he leave behind? An example so that what? That you should follow in his steps. That's our job. Follow in his steps. You know our our mission statement? Follow Jesus is one of the the four things. Follow in his steps. Now, what did he do? Well, what he didn't do, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit, that is lying, trickery, or anything like that found in his mouth. When he was reviled, okay, reviled when they said all sorts of nasty things to him and about him, and when they spit on him and slapped him and put a crown of thorns, uh, you get the picture. He did not revile in return, though he would have had the ability to do it. He could have come back being, you know, since he knows everything, he could have had the most sarcastic comeback that you could imagine, but he didn't. And uh, when he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And there was a purpose in it. He himself bore our sins. You get that? You see, that's the core truth of the Christian faith. He bore our sins in his body on that tree of the cross. Why? That we might die to sin and that we might live to righteousness. And get this, by his wounds you have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. (laughs) Brought back, restored. Jesus came to bring forgiveness, to begin a restoration process, conforming us to his own image. He was the only perfect man, and yet he was, uh, all, all, all human hostility was directed at him. All the way to the cross, he allowed himself to be broken with the purpose that we might be healed. And so you can see how much he values us. And he reveals that lie, the lie that says, I am not worth loving. We have to look at how God, what kind of a price tag has he put on you? It's not a dollar sign, it's the sign of a cross. That's what he's val- how much he values every one of us. And he replaces the lie with his truth. Uh, Walk with me through this one from the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
Now, get this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult. That is, he's, he's rejoicing, he's bragging about you, over you with loud singing. I think he just makes up songs where we're the object of that song. We're the subject of that song. And it's a love song. How much does he love you? And as he's doing that, I just get the picture here that he's just kind of doing a little circle dance around us. And he's so happy. He is so happy that we could be his. That's his love. And he counted us worthy of that love. He didn't want, want to abandon his creation. Now, maybe that will help us to better understand how much we are loved. And would he love anyone less, even those people that maybe torment us at times? Uh, and he says, you know what? You need to be able to forgive. You need to cut slack. And you need to be a positive person who can help because you're either going to be part of the problem or you're going to be part of the solution. What do you want to be? I'm afraid too often we're part of the problem, but he says you can be part of the solution. Isn't that our calling as Christians? Part of our mission, love God, love others. So let's take a couple steps forward, the last part on your outline there, and a couple things to fill in. As we move forward, the first is a self-inventory. And uh, the psalmist is really good at that, Psalm 139, where... Probably it's David, and he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Are you, are you willing to risk that? You know what? If you're really serious to God, with God and you say that, you're risking something because he'll probably show you. That means you've got to face up to something where we've been part of the problem, and that's not comfortable. But you see, God is not as much interested in us being comfortable as he is in developing our character. So that self-inventory, and when he reveals something, he says, you know what? You're on the wrong track here. What do you do? We take it to the cross because there is forgiveness and then there is empowerment. Empowerment to do the next thing, and that is to forgive. You see, Joseph forgave when he had a chance to really get even. He was in a position where he could have had those people, you know, sliced down right there, right in front of him, every one of them, killed. But he didn't make up his mind then, I'm going to forgive them. He had already made up his mind about that because he had a relationship with God, and he knew how much God loved him. And so he forgave. In fact, he didn't give an emotional response. He gave a theological response to this when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. He understood it now from God's point of view. We need to understand our life from God's point of view. And I'm going to go to Colossians 3.13 where it talks about bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And I'm going to promise you something. God is never going to ask you or require you to forgive anything bigger than what he has already forgiven you. I'm going to say that again. God is never going to require you to forgive anything bigger of anyone else than what he has already forgiven you. That's pretty good news. So what I thought I couldn't forgive, I can. Because the next point is just going to renounce bitterness in all of its sources, and I'm not going to buy into other people's bitterness either. You know, 
after you've been unfairly judged and unfairly treated and passed by and deceived and cheated and abused, Joseph was abused. He forgave, and he could because he had renounced the bitterness. He was not going to buy into that and let that control his life and add to the misery. And then restoring trust. Well, that's a hard one sometimes, too. But I think of what uh, former President Reagan had once said, trust, but verify. Verify, yeah. Trust, sure. There should be verification. There are people that are dishonest, people that are unsafe, people that are toxic. And you don't have to keep a real close physical distance to them. That's not required. Love would say that you're going to hold them close to the Heavenly Father in your prayer. And you're going, to want, you're going to love them enough to want them to be drawn into a relationship where they are repentant and where they receive forgiveness because maybe you're going to have to hang out with them in heaven, and that's an eternity. So what do we do? Taking these steps forward, recognizing that sometimes we're part of the problem, but realizing that God is so interested in developing and and healing relationships in this world, and he gives us the opportunity and the power to do this.